You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Now a pass in front, oh, and they score! Batherson got a rebound off a shot on the short side. Batherson, they gotta get bigger in certain areas. That's what she said. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam! So 700, what is 7? What's the O stand for? Oh my God, it's early. I don't know what the 7 stands for. 7 a.m. Brooke Ward with you along with Josh Elliott Wolf. A Dog's here, Laddie's here. Good morning. Trying to get used to the format here. It's day two. I think you nailed it off the top. I don't know. Hello, hello. Screwed it up off the top. Hey, Laddie. How you guys doing? I think we're swell. Doing great. You getting used to these mornings yet? Nope. Don't like mornings. And I won't. A Dog and I are talking about how we're sleeping in. It's an hour later than usual. Such a win for you guys. Yeah, it's glorious. Do you guys are you guys nappers regularly? Cool. I used to be, not so much anymore. Huh. I, I tried yesterday, and I just I wake up more tired after. Yeah, so. I'm the same. I'm a terrible napper. If I nap, I sleep for like five five hours, so yeah. I can't do it. Ruins a whole day. I'm yeah. pregame nap all every day now, if there's a game or not. But it goes back to uh, the old days when I'd work in the morning at six a.m. or five thirty. And then you had to cover the Canuck game at night, and you're there till midnight. And then you had to swing around, much like, you know, Mr. Laddie over there who was at the Giants game last night. And yourself. I was there too, yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, then you have that turnaround. So you have to have the pregame nap, I find. But now even if it's 2, 3 o'clock every day, that's an hour out of my life. I should start adding that up. That's seven hours a week. I could do the math. How much of my life I'm using. You got a nap, man. You'll get used to it. It's great. Laddie, aren't naps great? I love them. I, I was telling uh, Sonia from 1130 that uh, when my daughter goes for her nap, my two-year-old, I go down for my nap, too. It's a it's perfect a little bonding thing. He's also got a crib. So yeah, I got a little he's crib. He's got a giant crib he sleeps in. <laughs> they give him so his, cute. his bottle, his little blankie. <laughs> wow. I like yeah. that, but if you want to gain an hour because the daughter's going to be a lot of work, I would suggest napping at a different time than your daughter. That's true. Your daughter's down, you get an hour off, that is true. and then you say to your wife, well, uh, sorry, it's my nap time, <laughs> and you get another hour off. We're learning things already here in the morning. Uh, welcome to the big program. We're in for Halford and Bruff. They are missing in action this week. They're on the DL, lower body injuries, maybe upper when I think about it after how much drinking they may have done over the last week and a half. But they say they'll be back next week anyway. But they're working. I'm going to change it to upper body injury right now. Uh, Josh Elliott and myself are floating around here doing the damage for you. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Greg Wisniewski of ESPN NHL. Lots to talk about the NHL. We'll get to some of it and what happened in just a moment. Vancouver Giants last night dropped a 4-2 decision at home to Victoria. Gave up three power play goals. It was a tight game to the third period, but they gave up three power play goals. You're not going to win. And they didn't. Adam Maglio, their assistant coach, is going to join us. The Giants hosting Edmonton tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at the LEC. Later on the program, Brady Henderson, ESPN out of Seattle. We'll talk Seahawks. We'll find out what is going on with Russell Wilson. Who has won the power struggle? I think we know the answer between the head coach, Sean Payton, and Russell Wilson. Because, boy... That honeymoon has not lasted very long. More on that with Brady Henderson later in the program. Sat is going to join us. 
because we, we love Sat, and he hasn't worked for a couple of days. And he'll be working tonight as the Canucks take on the Philadelphia Flyers, so he's pulling the day-night doubleheader. What we learn later on in the program, too, and a couple of things to get into, but I want to ask you off the top, off the top, just as a talking point, and what may come into our inbox that you can jump in the Dunbar Lumber text line right now, 650-650, plenty of things to get into with what happened. But I want to know your top three Canucks in order. It's sort of your MVP list, but I want to know who your top three are. If you had to pick the three best Canucks, which would fall into your t- – you're not going to get into your unsung heroes, which I've changed my mind from yesterday. I had DeSmith, Casey DeSmith, as my unsung Josh, and now mm-hmm. I've gone, you know what, Bluger. Bluger's probably Bluger's my unsung. a good choice. Because he is not sung, mm-hmm. but I'm on yesterday's topic today. But I was thinking, and some people Bluger'd us in the uh, inbox. Bluger'd all over themselves. They did. Better way to say it than that. I hate it when that happens. But otherwise, I'm now thinking, no, I'm going to go off to Smith because he is getting some accolades, and I'm going to go on Bluger for yesterday. But your top three Canucks this year, in order to, which would be your three most valuable players as we near New Year's. So I'll drop that on you as we cruise in today. You could jump in on this if you wanted, Josh, earlier. You could think about it for a while. I'll think about it. We'll get into it at some point. Because I got my three. I got my three, that is for sure, but we'll, we'll test on that. If you want your three in, and we'll drop them in as we cruise through the morning, it's 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, Mr. Elliot Wolf. Uh, hour one of Halford and Bruff brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest price on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid, 1170 Powell Street, and, and... The Delory family of Acura dealers experience the Delory difference today. Visit your nearest Delory Acura dealer today. Now, do you get to drive Halford's Acura while he's yep. away? Wow, yeah. he I... is out of a car. <laughs> he's <laughs> in such a tough spot right yeah, now. Yeah, you're doing the ad read, so you, yeah. you better get access to the car. That's what I said. I know that driving ability. Deal. Do we cruise to what happened, or do you want to go into just a couple of minutes here? Your call, Mister Josh. I say we do what happened. Okay, it's up to you. You go. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Uh, by the way, before we get into it, what happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Well, I will lead off. I'll tee off first just because. It, it back sells the read so nicely. Uh, two more for Bedard last night. The overtime game winner. Uh, 15 goals and 17 assists. 32 points, 34 games. Call it a point-of-game clip. He's miles ahead of anybody else on the lowly Blackhawks. And when I say lowly Blackhawks, Josh, that has to factor into the equation because he's. Uh, it's not like he's getting a point and a half a game, but he's not lighting the league up. But he's a highlight real guy again, and playing on that Blackhawk team, no support. Those are some great numbers for this kid mm-hmm. out of yeah. North Van. And it's even more impressive because, to your point, the third and fourth highest scoring players on the Chicago Blackhawks, Nick Felino and Jason Dickinson, who are not the best offensive players at this point in their careers. Dickinson maybe hasn't ever been in the NHL. Um, but, yeah, the way Bedard is playing – has been insane. And specifically that overtime goal last night, I was talking to Laddie about it before the show. Though his release on that, I don't know if I've ever seen 
a shot like that, where it looks like he's going blocker side. Connor Hellebuck, who's an amazing goalie, we all know that, Vesna caliber goalie, bites on it because he's like, surely he's shooting on the blocker side with his stick in that position, and instead it goes glove side, Hellebuck is fooled, and it was just an amazing release, and um, it feels like he's also gaining confidence at this point, because we saw the Michigan goal a few days ago as well that he pulled off, and he's uh, he's dialed in right now, and I I wish there was some more help in Chicago for him, because I do feel like he's capable of being uh, even better than we've seen, but there's just uh, no one to pass it to, no one to pass it to him, and that plays a part. There'll be more help soon. At this point, it might be a Celebrini. You never know if the if the Blackhawks can uh, continue to sink because they're right near the bottom of the standings anyway. Wouldn't that be something, by the way? Or you win the lottery and you get yourself a Celebrini if you have that uh, decent lottery odds. So there could be help on the way. But, yeah, he just sold that goal so nicely and hell, had Hellebuck going to his right and the puck goes to his left and he just buries it. And so many of the goals he scores, as he did in junior two, is just, or at any level, frankly, if he was playing in the World Juniors. Shelf, 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 such touch with the puck, roofing it all the time, picking corners that other guys have not been able to pick. Mm-hmm. If he had a supporting cast, uh, he'd be uh, have way more points. But he's still on pace here for a 30- or 35-goal season. His second half, by the way, as you talk about, you can see the confidence growing now that he knows he can play and survive physically in the league mm-hmm. as well. And he's built. He's This guy is not the biggest guy in the world, but he's all muscle. So he's on his way to, at this point, pace for an 80-point season in a 30- or 34 uh, or a 35-goal season. I don't know what else you would ask from Connor Bedard. No, there isn't much more you you would want from him. I was I I will say going into the season when I looked at the Chicago Blackhawks roster, I was like, you know what? Maybe maybe Bedard will show flashes, but I just don't know if there's enough help for him to really mm-hmm. be a point of game player. I thought he might be around 50-60, and maybe by the end of the year he still is, but with the way he's playing now, it seems like he will be around a point of game at the end of the season. Maybe if he goes on a little run here, uh even above that and that's uh to your point, definitely more than you could ask for if you are Chicago I'm, right now. I'm betting he'll finish. I'm just betting he'll finish above a point of game pace by the end of the year. And he's cruising, barring injury, and he's cruising past 30 goals. So that would be good. Connor Bedard leading off here with what he well, did with Chicago. With the release like Bedard has, I have no doubt he's going to be a point per game player, <laughs> yeah. if not this season, then very, very soon. Because uh, that, that attribute makes him dangerous from any point of the ice. And that's so taxing for a goaltender to have to be so aware when the puck is on a certain player's stick and Bedard brings that at 18 like it's Mm -hmm. just unbelievable what he's done I think we can even hype up enough of what he's doing I think if he got a little help and Chicago maybe brought in a couple players in the offseason I think next year he could definitely very easily be over 100 you're saying he's the kind of guy you can build around (laughs) maybe I don't know well they got building to do but I've got him I've got him by the time the season ends here over a point of game pace Mm -hmm. this year moving forward uh who knows the sky's the limit for this kid uh Bedard was number one Mr. Elliott uh the next one I had so the New York Rangers were in action last night um they won and with that they move into a tie for first in the NHL with your Vancouver Canucks, though the Rangers have played two less games, so their point percentage is higher. Um, So the Canucks, second in points, well, tied for first, but we'll put them in second in the NHL, third in point percentage as uh, LA has still played four less games than Vancouver. And uh, it's uh, it's still 
Like, I don't know if there's much you could take away from it other than it's notable that the Rangers and Canucks are tied. Uh, well, the 1994 Stanley Cup finalists. There they are. <laughs> yeah, that would right be fun. Right you the shelf. Now, the Rangers have five less regulation wins than Vancouver, so they're tied in points, mm-hmm. and I know they've played two less games. So do you, Mr. Elliott Wolf, call the Canucks because of regulation wins? Because the Rangers still need to win games to pass them. Who's in first place, Vancouver? I I would say New York. Yeah, I got New York in first place too. I the the one I have a a qualm with, I guess, is I know LA's point percentage. Like, if we're going by that, Vancouver is point seven zero, LA is point seven one. Theoretically, LA is technically higher, but also they got a they're five points back, four games in hand. So that's the one where I'm like, well, I got to see them win those games. Yeah, but when the Rangers are tied and they have games in hand. Give it to the Rangers. That's I would. Uh, I'm giving it to the Rangers. Just nice to see Vancouver up there with anybody, let alone uh, their 1994 Stanley Cup final companions there. But uh, the Kings beat the Sharks five to one to gain a, a couple on Vancouver, eating up one of those games at hand. The Ducks beat Vegas five to two, leaving them two behind Vancouver. So that helped Vancouver last night. And if I had to pick one, I'd you know whatever. But I think let's keep Vegas behind to keep the teams behind. It's so among other things, even with games in hand, you expend so much energy trying to catch up the teams in front of you often that often that happens, but you don't pass them. You burn up so many games. I don't know why it works that way, but you burn up your games trying to catch the team in front of you, games in hand. For some reason, often, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but often you'll catch that team and then whoosh, and it's real early in the season too. Mm-hmm. But in the second half, lots of times you'll see teams do that. It's so tough. Once you, you waste so much energy trying to catch the teams you're chasing despite the games at hand, you have trouble passing them. But uh, it still looks pretty neat and tidy. And you have the Canucks and Flyers tonight too, a team yeah. Philadelphia that is on a roll prior to the roll. They've been a pretty average hockey team this year, but they're on a roll tonight. Yeah, both the Flyers and Canucks 7-1-2 and two in their last 10 games. Um, Flyers third in the Metropolitan right now. They are, I don't know, you remember when Torts was a coach here in Vancouver and the Canucks kind of halfway through the season were, were pretty hot, but they were kind of riding unsustainableness. I, I wonder if that's happening a bit in Philly and if we'll see a bit of a drop-off in the second half. But as of now, they're they're firing on all cylinders, so the Canucks uh, got to be prepared for that. Also, by the way, L.A. and Vegas play tonight. So one team has to lose. One team also has to win. Exactly. That's the other thing you're going down the stretch. When you get into the stretch and things like that, too, you get teams that are playing head-to-head. There's guaranteed points. You're hoping it's not a three-point game. Basically, somebody win. Don't get this thing into OT where you're handing out extra points to people. So the Canucks and Flyers tonight, uh, certainly. Uh, I don't know if you heard about Chris Letang last night. Philadelphia shut out Bo Horvat's New York Islanders seven nothing. Letang had a night, Josh. He did. So six points in total. The notable part: five points in the second period. Which, this is surprising to me. It's a record for NHL defensemen in one period. It's a lot of points. Five points in one period. Especially for a defenseman. I just thought like Bobby Orr would have done it at some point, maybe. Um, but that's very impressive. And uh, Pittsburgh finds themselves right now outside of the playoff picture still. They kind of had a weird start to the season. Um, but they're a team... And the East is so difficult right now because if you look just at the Stop current... By- playoff standings Tampa New Jersey Pittsburgh all find themselves out of the playoff picture at the moment 
but Washington, Philly, New York, uh, sorry, the Islanders are all in there. So it, it feels like it's kind of going to be a bloodbath in the East, and Pittsburgh should uh, hopefully, for their sake, get going. But Latang last night, yeah, he was uh, he was great. Five points in the second period, record. NHL defenseman. Well, in that's period. A, that's a lot of points. A lot of points for a month for a defenseman, let alone five at a period, six at a game for Latang, who I've been wondering when's his game fall off. Well, those six points certainly help from a statistic standpoint. Waiting for his game maybe to fall off a little bit. Had it fallen off? Is he certainly on the back nine, or if not on the seventeenth uh, uh, green of his career type deal? But uh, six assists last night. The other thing that leaps out at me at that game, you know, who had no points. Lots of guys had no points in a 7 nothing win for the Penguins. Sid the Kid was shut out. Nothing Which for weird. Sid the Kid last. I know, in a seven-point game, you're figuring Crosby's going to get in there somehow. And Ovi, he he was shut out again last night. Can't, I'm trying to remember the score off the top of my head. I'll dig it up for you. But Ovi shut out again last night. But I always put Ovi and Sid the Kid on the same page. But uh, nothing for Sidney Crosby last night? Yeah, and he's been... Uh... By the way, the uh, Capitals lost to the Rangers 5-1. There you go. Um, he's been – and he's been good this year. He's He's been more of the ageless wonder that we're, uh, we're used to seeing from Sidney Crosby. Um, he's but, still putting up points, yeah. Yeah, 35 points in 33 games so far this year. Ovechkin, uh, since you brought him up, are you – because for me, last year it would have been like, yeah, undeniable he is getting uh, Wayne Gretzky's goal record. Are you questioning that? now or do you still think you'll get there as of this week yes i'm i'm with you and everybody else though last year etc the guy just i mean he's 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 slowing down but he's still putting up big enough numbers Mm -hmm. Uh, i didn't still have 42 last year yeah and so i wasn't expecting like 60 or whatever he needed this 62 or whatever he needs uh this year from ovechkin but i thought uh, you know he's gonna have back-to-back 40 goal years still Mm -hmm. now you got me wondering i mean i'm just wondering is this a blip on the radar screen for him six goals one goal since november the 18th one goal in december for Mm -hmm. ovechkin and we're running out of december uh, he is a guy, I'm just wondering now, is it Gretzky when he had a nine, I think it was a nine goal season, which is ironic too, because Mr. Gretzky liked nines. Mm-hmm. It was his favorite number. It was Gordy Howe's number. And then he went 99 of the national and he finished up with a, I believe a nine goal season in his final year. Gretzky could have kept playing, but even Gretzky said, well, you know, I had a nine goal. So I'd like, I had a nine goal season. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm it's Wayne over. Gretzky. Yeah. After nine, I'm good. I'm not coming back next year for yeah. seven or six or eleven. So Will Ovi, if this is just a blip on the radar screen, and he's got a second half here to try and get himself to the thirty goal mark, as an example. But if he's finishing up the, this year with fifteen goals or something, Will Ovi look and go, man, I'm Ovi. I can't come back. I mean, there's pride on the line too. Do I want four, five, fifteen goal seasons here, just plugging out into my forties to try and get this record? I think that'll be very interesting to see what the psyche of Ovechkin is moving forward if this is not a blip on the radar screen. I think he would need multiple like back-to-back seasons of being around a 20-goal score to be like, hey, you know what? Maybe this just isn't for me anymore. Um, but the the other issue is the Capitals just aren't that offensively gifted this year. A lot of their guys are either new in the league, aren't – super amazing maybe middle six guys or they have a lot of guys that are just kind of past their prime and Ovi Ovi you could probably put in there though I think if he was on a team that 
had some more insulation around him, he could probably still be the OB we're used to. But I don't know. I just don't know if Washington is going to be able to surround him properly in the la- in the next few years, if he does play for a few years, to be able to um, completely get back to where he was. And he still might be able to catch the goal record if he plays for long enough and gets a few 30-goal seasons in there. Um, oh, yeah. It, but... Now I'm now it's much more of a question than it was Big previously, and a sure. shocking question if you think about it as well. Like I, I didn't expect it to be on the ledger this year. Ovi sitting on six goals as we're looking at the calendar about to turn to 2024. But uh, yeah, can he's still getting looks? He's still getting shots away. They're not going in. Has he slowed down just that little bit that is making a difference? Uh, what also happened was Canada. Aired out another opponent, 10 nothing Latvia yesterday. 10 donut. That's a lot of goals. That's a lot of goals, man. Uh, Mac- I think even in that game, Latang had a couple of assists. <laughs> yes. Uh, Macklin Celebrini leads the uh, tournament in points, by the way. We were talking about him potentially going to Chicago. And, yeah, he has six points in two games so far for Team Canada. And uh, he's been good. Canada's been good. Um, it'll be interesting tomorrow, I believe is when they play Sweden. Yes. And that is, uh, that's going to be a game to watch because, uh, all due respect to Latvia and Finland is often good. I don't know if they're, they're of their normal caliber this year, but, um, all due respect to Latvia and Finland, Sweden is going to be the, the toughest competition they face in this first few games. Um, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that also sweden playing today by the way at uh 10 30 so if you want to watch your few canuck prospects in the tournament like Rimaki, elias petterson and um tom melander that's how you uh that's how you can do it that's how you can do it russo 20 safe shout out yesterday i was uh i was out for lunch frankly and i was out to lunch mostly but out for lunch yesterday for a change and uh, hitting White Spot. Why Why wouldn't I? I went to my buddies at White Spot, and they had the Canada-Latvia game on the TV, so I really hadn't been paying much attention, but I saw Canada score a goal. I'm a ways away, and I see there's no celebration, and yeah. I'm realizing they're airing them out, and it was 9 nothing at that point. So at that point, okay, 9 nothing, whatever, no celebration. You knew something was cooking there with gas. So uh, more coming up on this later. Because I asked people, I want to just jam this into the back end here, ask people for their top end. Thank you for the your uh, Dunbar Lumber text at 650-650, you're crushing it. Your three top Canucks, MVPs, if you will, three best Canucks this year. Uh, lots of people in the inbox. And North Delta, Jay in North Delta goes Hughes, Miller, Besser. I don't have Besser in there, but I have Miller in there, which I thought some people wouldn't have Miller in there. You're going to have Hughes. I think because like Miller is a I got Miller in my got so many points that you kind of have to. It's his attitude. It's his drive. It's his this. It's his that. I mean the snarly attitude as well. He seems to be playing nicer with people in the when it comes to actually to the media and or not that that matters, but with his players and teammates. There's no arguments on the ice. He's just everywhere. I have in this order actually. I have Demko, Hughes, Miller in that order. But I could flip Hughes for Demko if I wanted to. But my I'm Demko tops, Hughes, Miller, and then I would get down to the Pedersons of the world. I was going to go uh, Hughes or Hughes, Demko, Miller. 
are is my top three. So same top same three, top different three, order, different order as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get to more of these who cruise along. Keep coming in. I'm surprised to see uh, many people are dropping Besser in there. Yet he has the goals for Vancouver, doesn't he? You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. If you could have the Canucks win the Stanley Cup this season, but it means they do not win guaranteed for the next 50 years at least. Do you press that button to make it happen? And I want to know where the Canucks fans sit on this. Yeah, so get your text in 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. I said yes in a heartbeat and so did Josh. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even have to think about it. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Laddie was surprised by this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if I only see the Canucks win a single cup in my entire lifetime, I would still be fine with that. Yeah. Just give me one. Give me one. And you'd be okay with 50 for. years of futility yeah. after well, that Well, I've had 40 so far. So I know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, give me the one. And it's been terrible. And you want that again? <laughs> if it means, yeah. Yeah, because then honestly, I'll just think back to the one. Exactly. Like, if, if in my lifetime, if I had seen a Canucks Cup win, whether it was in 94 or 2011, I wasn't alive in 82, uh, but if it was 94 or 2011, my mindset with this team would be completely different than it is right now, as I think it would be with a lot of listeners. If, if your team has already won a championship in your lifetime, even if they are not very good for a number of decades, you, you still have that one memory to hold on to. Right. No, I just, why, why would you limit yourself to just the one cup? Because we haven't had one yet. Yeah. <laughs> Give me one. I, all I want is one. If it's, it's such a lack of confidence that they could win multiple. Is that, is that yeah. what's driving well, this? Definitely. <laughs> well, you take the guarantee, though. That's, that's the question, though, right? you take you got to take the guarantee. If it wasn't a guarantee, then okay, that's, that's the risk. But if you're guaranteed 100% without fail that one cup, whether it's this year or the next year or whatever, you got to take it. Fly, a, fly in my opinion. It's a boat or a mystery box. And box the t- box. Yeah. Alec is like, I gotta take the box. You gotta take if what that's you, the thing, you gotta take the win. I'll take the cup if you finish last place for the rest of your lifespan in the National Hockey League. I'll, I'll take that cup. Really? That's, that's... Yeah. Well, like I, I'm, I was alive in '82, so I'm 53 years of futility, basically, with the Canucks, with a few blips on the radar screen. So it's like, oh, of course, I'll take a cup rather than saying well, I, I may never get one. Okay. So I'll take the cup. But uh, what I don't want is after the cup, though, to finish in last place forever. Because uh, if you think people get carved now, uh, we're carved the Canucks now or over the years. You win one, you want another. And I always watch things like people who uh, pick the pick the sport. But you've already got five cups, and the people are trembling in the stands. Am I going to win number six? And I'm always thinking that's a great fan. But you already got five, man. What's the what's the hook here? What's making you so nervous about this? Whether so, it's baseball or whatever. Canucks fans are so hungry and desperate for that one win. They're willing to just throw the next fifty oh, yeah. years <laughs> forever. Yeah. That's amazing to me. To get a win. A lot of people just, I just want to see them win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. I don't think I'm going to see them win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime, just the way it's gone. But uh, And the number of teams they keep adding yeah, every yeah, other year. Well, you know, but you take, but then you should eat, you should, you used to feast on those teams that they added every year, but uh, not so much anymore, which is a good thing. The inbox, mostly agreeing with you guys, it looks like. Yeah, oh, so. you take it. 650, yeah. 650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Paul and Coquitlam, yes, what are you nuts? Surrey Ryan, <laughs> F yes. Um, the only one that has disagreed has been uh, Brandon in Vancouver. Absolutely not. That's loser mentality, 50 years is as good as not winning ever. Look at Toronto. I didn't want to say loser mentality, but that's that's kind of what I was feeling there. That's a good way to put it. I, well, it's, yeah, I don't know. Paul when you've lost for this many years. You just take it. Yeah, it I is a loser mentality. I just but I think the Leafs one is a different example, though, because it was before 
the cup happened before many of the fans were alive. Mm-hmm. Like if they say the, expansion, if really. the Leafs won and say I don't know ninety seven, let's say pretend for a second, it would be a much different argument, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. it, I think the Leafs one is a different example, just because it was so long ago. But if if the Leafs fans, the average Leafs fan, was alive, that that is alive today had seen a cup in their lifetime, you probably wouldn't have the same well, thing. You know, that's a great hook right there to say if you were a 20-year-old Leafs fan or a 10-year-old Leafs fan in 1967 and they win the cup and someone, someone said, Balak was alive back then and said, if you, we'll give you this cup here. You're going to win the cup this year in 67, but you will never win another one for the rest of ever. Would you take that cup? Now, the Leafs already had some cups, so it is a different hook. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting. Will you take this one in 67, but you'll never win again? you got to find a Leafs fan that was alive in 67 yeah. and see what they say. Well, my mom. She was seven. Yeah. Well, if I already we'll had it. Get her on the line. Call get your her mom. On the line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your mom. I have her number, doing? actually. Yeah, that's our next guest, actually. Uh, I didn't know if you knew that. Brady Henderson can't make it. So well, A lot of people in the inbox saying that I'll be dead in 50 years. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if but you're the Maybe Le- you can not answer this question if you're. Yes. The Leafs hook that you had, if I already had five Stanley Cups or so or ten Stanley Cups in my hip pocket and you said, okay, if you win this year, you'll never win again, I'm not going to take this year because I already got ten. Yeah. So that's 11 and then nothing. Yeah, it's all based mm-hmm. on what you've experienced yeah. as a fan, right? That That's all what this is around. This is a great one that someone dropped in on me. Uh, Paul in Coquitlam, uh, would you take one cup? The Canucks win the cup this year. Ballack gets his wish. The Canucks, because that's what it's all about. He wants the Canucks to win. He's, sure. He's a closet Canuck fan. <laughs> uh, would you take the cup this year if it means the Leafs won the next 10 in oh a row? God. And you had to put up with all the Toronto media and their fans and... By the way, I think the Canuck fans can be just as bad as Toronto by the time comes if you're starting to win some but cups. But the Canucks still get the cup? You get the cup yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. I would no, still yeah. take it. I would still take it. Yeah, I'm not so sure I'd take it if I thought the Leafs were going to win 10 in a uh, row. And any scenario that involves the Leafs winning the cup, that's yeah. immediate. The uh, thing is, if I knew now. they were going to win, I'd be like, you know what, Canucks got one. Wow. I'll just ignore the next 10. No, yeah, I think fine. that way I'd turn I would my just, back I would on just the become one. a different. I would choose a different sport to yeah. follow for be Retire on top. Guy. I'm yeah. done with hockey. Canucks yeah. have won. Then, this one yeah. from uh, take a pickleball for <laughs> yeah. pickleball. Snoop. Snoop the dog. Does management know so they can engage in a 51 year rebuild? Oh. I'll take the cup and put money down on the second cup in year 51. Yeah. That's true too. If I can tell Canucks management like, hey, you're going to win this year, but I made a deal, you're not going to win for 50 years. I'll take that cup. Yeah. I mean, you're in a 53-year rebuild right now, it feels like, anyway. But I would take the cup if I had, I'm eligible again after the half-century mark. I just love that other one, though. I'm sorry, back to Paul. But Canucks win. and Like, if the Leafs win one cup, oh, my goodness, it's going to be turn the TV off, stop listening to the talk shows, quit the job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to listen to that. What's well, going to be coming into Toronto? Oh my god! Like the gosh, Simpsons monkey paw oh, scenario. Lord, give me a Canucks cup, okay? But yeah, <laughs> but if they're going to win, that, so Paul could have said if the Le- if Canucks win this year, Leafs win next year. Though now I'm starting to think, do I really want to listen to that? I'd still take the Canuck cup, but ten in a row for the Leafs? No, I will five in a row for the Leafs. I would take the zero for sure on that one. You would not. You would say no cup, Canucks cup, if the Leafs had to win five. I the next so five. much. I want really? the Leafs to lose more than I want the Canucks to win. Really, that's a very Vancouver mindset. Yeah, yeah uh, I see, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I would. I would be fine with pretty much any scenario as long as the Canucks win one. From a uh, personal standpoint, I would never hear the end of it from everyone that I grew up with. So I, I am so against the Leafs ever winning anything. Yeah, I, I fit in with the Vancouver market that way. At a certain point, though, after, like, let's say in this theoretical world where the Leafs win 10, you're just like, well, 
you know what? They've won three in a row. What's four? I don't know. And then what's what's ten? I turned my back on the sport by the time that happened anyway. But exactly. John in Camby Village, close by. Take the cup! Canucks fans, lionize uh, Canuck losses. Of course we'd take one Stanley Cup win. Greg. Obviously, you haven't lived here long enough, Greg. And you don't understand us, Greg. That's from John <laughs> in Canby Village. This is a. Well, that's a good why I wanted question. to hear from the Canucks fans. I, I, did, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, want, I was curious. Uh, this one Would you accept never winning if it meant the Leafs also never win? No, we're kind of there. Oh, man. I still want the cup. Yeah, I, I still don't do. Care too. About anything I, else. I don't care if they're happy. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. Like, yeah. I, I, they can win 50 in a row. I don't, I don't care. Just give the Canucks one. In my life. That's all I... Andy all Cole, I, I want the Leafs to win 50 cups yeah. in a row. You heard it here first, folks. That's the quote. Yeah. I no, go no, back... No, but really, though, that's all it comes down to. I do not care about any other team and what happens to them, whether they win or not, even if it's the Leafs. As long as the Canucks get the one in my lifetime, I'm fine with that. Whatever else happens after that is gravy. Somebody in the inbox in a heartbeat, I would take a Canucks win a cup. The Leafs can win the next 10. The cup then stays in Canada for 11 years. I like a Canadian team to win a cup. I like that. I just don't know if I want Toronto to be it. But uh, but back to Greg's original statement, Canucks only and then 50 years of nothing? Yeah. Hello. I'll be long gone dust by then anyway. Who cares? But uh, we were waiting 53. Just give me a cup. I hate. I don't like the bottom out though. If a team just sort of lucked out into a cup, like the '82 Canucks, if they'd somehow beaten the Islanders, which was never going to happen, but if they did, they were like a 500 hockey club who just kind of, through circumstance, weaved their way through into the Stanley Cup final. If the Canucks had won, and the next year had 60 points, then I'd have a bag over my head going. The only thing that would, I know we got to go to break. I'm sorry, but the only thing that would kind of bother me, I guess, is if it was like a bubble scenario, like the the COVID bubble, like. If yeah. I was a Lightning fan, I'd be very annoyed that my two cups came in that sort of situation because it just doesn't feel real. Like, I know you win the cup and it's still cool and all, but the fact that it happened in that situation without fans, I guess the second one's different. But yeah, second at least one, I think. Second, yeah. one's, second one's fine. But the, yeah. with the first one, though, like, if it was that kind of scenario where you were playing in front of no fans and it was in a weird bubble situation, that, would, that yeah. might sit funny with me. But outside, especially if that was your only cup. I didn't want a bubble cup. I don't even count the Canucks playoff run. I know. It, it doesn't feel real. It's the bubble. It it's feels the, bubble like, Demko. All right. Let's Live throw the, forever. all these teams into a bubble yeah, that so would have made the playoffs. So I guess if their one win came in with an asterisk like that, it might bother me a little bit. Yeah, but outside of that one scenario, give me a cup. Sat is with us. Busy day for the man who's going to be on the pregame show, the postgame show. And now he's on the pre-pre-pregame show. Hi, Sat. How you doing? Doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? So uh, Canucks still sit atop the league at the moment, tied with the Rangers, but Rangers have game in hand. Um, what do you think the priority is? Because we're kind of getting to the point in the season where it's clear they're going to make the playoffs. It's more about positioning. Mm-hmm. What do you think the priority is in terms of what they need to work on as a team as they head into the playoffs here? Well, you know, I, I'd still say um, – I know it's funny to talk about because – they've been so good offensively. It's more about can, can they generate a bit more in terms of chance quality, and that will be something that's solid for you heading into the playoffs. But more than anything, that that PK has to really turn a corner. And, and I do think that they've shown some signs the past seven, eight games. I think they've been clicking you know, well over 80%, and they're showing signs of turning things around. They have the personnel to be you know, a top 15 PK unit, being a top half of the league. And if that PK can really hone in and they can really start – getting themselves into the top half of the league and, and trend in the right direction heading into the postseason, then I think it's going to be really difficult to beat this team. If their power play is going, you got good goaltending, you have a strong PK, and you play a safe five-on-five game, that's going to make you very difficult to beat. The thing you don't want to have is 
doing everything right, essentially, and then having the PKB or Achilles heel. But I see no reason from a personnel standpoint that the PK should struggle as much as it has at times this season. But if they can shore that up and really get on a run, I think this team will be held to play a game. They're improving five-on-five, but among that is Garland, Joshua, and Bluger scoring a bunch of five-on-five goals as well. What are you seeing five-on-five from them? And that maybe was one of the things people were pointing at earlier this year, Sat, that they were living on their power play. Well, I think five-on-five from that line specifically, I think they're able to actually generate a lot of quality scoring chances. I think it's interesting when, if you look at some of the data, five-on-five for that line, and you go back from Garland even earlier in the season, you'll see a lot of similar, um, like, Corsi numbers, so to speak. The shot differential, the scoring chance differentials are somewhat similar. But if you actually, you know, go back and watch the chances they were generating versus what they're generating now – it's night and day. I mean, Garland's completely turned around. He's turning his offensive zone entries at puck possession into quality scoring chances now. And a lot of that comes down to um, his teammates being really solid, especially Bluger down the middle and how well Dakota Joshua's played off the wall. And they're able to generate offense from the wall to the middle of the ice and in transition by being really strong along the walls on their exits as well. So they're playing the system to perfection and they're able to generate some creative scoring chances coming out of it. And I do think it's, it's been a big switch, especially with how Garland plays. Like, instead of just looking to get the puck across the blue line and then getting a shot on goal, he's done a really good job of setting up the play and, and inviting pressure and then offloading the puck to players in open space. I've been really impressed with how he's really taken true ownership of that line and not just being somebody who's just throwing shots on goal. So I think they're doing essentially what the coach wants the other lines to do, especially the top six, in terms of generating chances and creativity off the way they play within their structure. And I think that's been the thing that I'm sure is showing on video to the other guys saying, hey, if we play to our structure and we play to where we need to be and we're winning along the walls, like look at the chances you can generate, not only from your own end going into the offensive zone, but also if you're winning along the walls, especially the half walls. In the offensive zone, you're able to also generate offense to the middle. And I think those are the things they're doing really well. And if the rest of those lines can kind of – you know, bottle some of that up, then they're going to be even more difficult to play against five on five. Yeah, those goals they've scored too have uh, been difference makers ultimately. Even when mm-hmm. you're tallying up the score at the end of the game, not like they've just been nothing goals. So these guys have, have chipped in when the other guys haven't been uh, haven't been going. So uh, if that is the case, haven't been going. I was asking people the other day, sat uh, unsung hero for the Canucks. Who's your unsung hero for Vancouver? And many people have gone to that line of Garland, Joshua, and Bluger. And I originally thought Casey DeSmith, yet he mm-hmm. is get, getting lots of praise. I've now gone the Bluger way, who just seems to keep showing up here and there in positive ways. With respect to Lafferty, too, who I've quite enjoyed. But mm-hmm. I think Blue, if I had to pick one, I think I'm going Bluger for unsung here. You don't hear a lot about him. Very effective. Who'd be on your list? Yeah, I think he's very high on my list. I mean, not only is he playing well defensively, he's generating offense. I mean, it's not just, you know, he's not just you know, piggybacking off Garland and Joshua. I mean, look at that feed he made, uh, you know, on, on the two-on-one chance, getting in low and then sweeping it across. Like, he's making some really high-skill plays, so he's completely full value for the offense he's generating. I'll go off the board a little bit because I'm thinking real unsung, and you're right. Uh, Bluger fits up there, but we talked a lot about Bluger and Suter recently, and obviously that line, too, with Garland and Joshua with Bluger. But I'll go on the blue line, and I'll mention Ian Cole. We haven't talked about him a lot recently, but he's been really good defensively. And I know he takes a penalty from time to time, but considering he's playing with Noah Juleson and considering how their games come, come along and how he's been a steadying influence on the back end, especially with Philip Peronic and Quinn Hughes at times not being at their best and Zadorov and, and Myers still trying to find that chemistry. I think quietly 
Ian Cole has been their most dependable defensive defenseman so far, and especially with how he's able to been able to generate some chemistry playing with Noel Juleson. We give the head coaches a lot of credit, especially the D coaches, with what they've done with uh, Noel Juleson to get him to a level where he's more than passable, at least playing as a sixth defenseman. But I think a lot of that credit also has to go with Ian Cole and how he's worked with them and how that partnership's really been able to turn a corner and, and make them into a real steady D pair. So I'll go off the board and, and say Ian Cole. Another thing we were kind of throwing around yesterday uh, on the show, and uh, I'll run it by here in because uh, I miss you. I miss Canuck Central. I miss you. Um, <laughs> is uh, I'll, th- I'll throw you an overrated, underrated. Uh, so overrated, underrated. The Canucks adding a top six forward at the deadline instead of a top four defenseman. What do you think the priority should be if you could only add one? Ooh. So I'll say underrated to go after the top six forward over the t- top four defensemen. Um, and that's not to say that I don't value top four D-men. I just think it's going to be really difficult for you to find the type of top four D-men you need and they'll have to ship somebody out of the back end. But I think if they're able to add that type of gritty top six forward that can play in, in their top six, I mean, we start looking at their decor. Any other decor is, is good. It's not the best in the league. But once you start going, we've done this exercise, Josh, as you know, on Canuck Central. Once you start going through uh, all the decors in the Western Conference, it's hard to not have Vancouver as a top five defense, right? So it's like, okay, you know, they're not perfect, but they're still significantly better. And the forward group's really strong too. But I do think when you compare even their forward group to a team like Dallas and even a team like Vegas, if you add one more forward that can really get in on the forecheck, be dependable as a two-way player, but also give you a little bit of offense, then I think there's going to be no issues at all with their top six. And you have a third line going the way it's going. You have a fourth line that's dependable. I think if you add a top six forward, I think it'll make a bigger difference than perhaps we would imagine. The comparable I was kind of bringing up yesterday, and and maybe it's not this guy specific. Well, it's not this guy specifically, but they kind of need a Tyler Toffoli esque trade. I think where mm-hmm. you bring in a maybe it's a winger, maybe it's a center, whoever, and then you can move Miller to wing if you want. But something like that where it's a clear big move that shows that you're. Uh, serious about being competitive this year. I think when they made the Toffoli trade, it was maybe poorly timed in that. But this is maybe an opportunity where you can make a trade like that and have it actually be something that does get the team going and, and does make sense for the team. Well, a trade that shows some real intent, right? And I think that would be uh, something along those lines. The only question I have is, are they willing to make that type of a move where they're moving a second and a prospect for somebody who's a rental or would they prefer to try to add somebody that, you know, can, can stay there longer term. And I think if they're moving seconds and everything, I still think they would like to shift some assets around and how else do you, are you able to generate an extra pick here and there? Can you move somebody off the roster to get that? That would allow you that's then going get a forward. I think that's maybe what they would have to do to go after a rental where they feel like, okay, we're not just, you know, giving away future assets. We're shifting assets to be able to get somebody to help us. I wonder if there's still, trying or at least looking to find somebody that they can have under control for a couple of years. And I don't think it has to be somebody who's under contract for three to four years. It could simply be a guy that has two years of control. Cause that was interesting when uh, they made a Philip Hironic trade and the Canucks gave up a first round pick and a second round pick to get him. Um, the coach, I mean, Patrick Alvin mentioned, yeah, we have two years of control. And after that, obviously we'll see where it goes, but he clearly valued having those two years so I think it would have to be somebody that has another year of control, despite 
alongside of the playoff run you have this year. Really enjoying how the Canucks are playing, Sat, but just because you throw the two years of control out there, and I'm kind of taking it in a different direction, I'm looking at right now, this is a two-year window for Vancouver because some people have said, well, so much for the rebuild or the retooling, or, or check that, so much for the rebuild, see, retooling worked, and I'm saying, well, short-term, I don't know long-term yet because right now your retooling has got you into the, uh, you know, one of the top 10 teams, I'll say, in the National Hockey League, despite where they are in the standings, but two Two years from now, uh, OEL money really starts kicking in. And I know the cap's going to go up, but I mean how much. The OEL money kicks in. Pedersen needs a raise. Besser's going to be looking at a new deal should you keep him. Or can you hang on to Hironic? I mean, all the I'm telling people enjoy the moment because you don't know where you're going to be in two years. And for the Canucks, this doesn't happen every day. Well, I think, I think you're right in terms of if you're looking at a window with this current core and if you want Brock Besser to be along for the ride and, and you want all these guys to be here, then yes, it is this year and then next season. But I, I do think the window could be longer in terms of competitiveness, but you would have to make more drastic moves. I, mean, I don't think it's a future that can contain a Brock Besser and you keep adding to this roster, or even a Connor Garland, for instance, who's finding a real good fit there on the third line. So I think once you get past this year and next year, if you want the window to extend, and I think it's possible, you have to make some real hard decisions and you have to make some pretty significant changes to the roster and, and shift things around mm-hmm. around your top four core players. So I do agree that this year and next year, in terms of this current core, that might be the window. And there is something to be said about how many years of the next four or five are you going to have where JT Miller could be in the Art Ross conversation, where Quinn Hughes could be in the Norris discussion, where um, Thatcher Demko could be in the Vesna discussion, where you have a head coach who's got the collective buy-in that has him in the Jack Adams discussion. And I think when you have those things rolling in your favor, and Brooke, I know you've covered the game along, you've seen you know, how hard it is for a team to be running as well as it is this year, you may feel like you have an obligation to take advantage of it. And that's one thing to always keep in mind of is, do they view that we're playing so well as a team this year mm-hmm. that if we're not taking advantage of this current window, we may not have another one that's as good. Well, you've got Rutherford and Alvin maybe up for awards too as well. So yeah. many guys from top to bottom through management too, people are having career years with the Vancouver Canucks. You do have to take advantage of these openings when you get them. And I'm not saying that two years from now, these guys, because they've done such a great job, can't tweak this and make this work. But I don't want to be sitting here in two two years because people now, many are saying, you see, we didn't need to rebuild. We retooled. I don't want to be two, three years from now going, you know, we should have rebuilt, but you had that 101-point blip like you had in 2014 or whatever it was when Trevor and Jim Benning first got here. So I keep an eye on it. But then uh, maybe I'm not as optimistic as everybody. But I, that's that's me. It's like, go for it now, but see what happens in two years because you never know where you're going to be. Well, they have to sustain this one way or another, right? I mean, we, we've seen enough false starts here over the past decade. And, you know, the, the, there was the um, mirage in the Oasis, which was the 101-point year, the final um, you know, the first year of the regime, and after that it was all downhill. And then they had the, hey, maybe this new core is onto something during the bubble playoffs. And then obviously they had the rug pulled from under them, and the next thing you know, uh, they're back into this, you know, treading water for a few years until they're at this point. So this can't be like another uh, blip like you mentioned, and the next year you go back to being a bubble team again. Like 
I think what they would have, and I wouldn't be surprised, guys, for as much as, yes, I mean, Brock is here and all these guys are having success with, but I, I think they're very calculated. And I think they can be pretty cold with their assessments, and it wouldn't just surprise me, even if they have a decent playoff run, that they get into the offseason and all of a sudden feel like, hey, you know, some of these guys that we had real trouble moving a year ago now all of a sudden have value, and they may allow us to go and get some things we were looking at before. So it wouldn't shock me that they ride this wave this year, but then they still make some pretty tough decisions this offseason that has a roster looking considerably different. Because for as much as I think they believe in the team and I like the core, I, I do think they, they like to wheel and deal more than anybody, and they're not really beholden to any one player on the team outside of perhaps Quinn Hughes, of course, Demko, and Pedersen. It does feel like as a as a collective fan base, Canucks fans are still trying to shake the like last management's mindset where it was like, oh man, a, a player is doing well right before they need a contract. Like Brock Besser, for example. Mm-hmm. And fans would be like, oh man, he's he's going to get overpaid to stay here and, and they're going to get sold on him and, and really commit to him. But it does feel like this management group is... Uh, maybe smarter isn't the better word, but is is more aware of what's going on and, and where a player's value is is really at long-term when they're making these decisions. Well, I also don't think they're afraid of, you know, and Rutherford himself mentioned this, but I don't think they're afraid of being wrong and they're not afraid of making a big call. I mean, if this was a previous regime, uh, what are the chances that this team still has Bo Horvat and JT Miller on the roster this year. I think, you know, I mean, convincing the owner perhaps might be the thing in terms of handing out two massive contracts like that. But if they were able to, I, I think that it would have been easier for them to go out and just pay a little extra to keep their guys as opposed to making that big trade where you're moving a Bo Horvat or you're moving a JT Miller. And these guys came in and they traded the captain and they had no issues in doing so. And, and I do think they are far more calculated in that regard. But the bending PTSD for the fan base is obviously going to be there until this team has true success. And it's one thing to have some you know, regular season success. I think it comes down to, okay, what do you look like in the postseason? And to what Brooke was mentioning, where, and I think you know, Brooke is also voicing um, the skepticism a lot of fans have about, okay, this is great, but what does it mean next year? What does it mean for the future? And sometimes we have to enjoy the moment, but when you've had you know, these fall starts over the past decade at times, it's sometimes difficult to, you know, be on stable footing and feel like, okay, they can carry this over. But I, but I would say that this management team is far more willing to make those tough decisions and live with whatever may come from them than the previous one did. And that should give people confidence that they're not going to get fooled by any sort of mirage here. And if there is a player that by the end of the season is riding up, 25, 30% shooting percentage and had a career goal scoring year that maybe they wouldn't be afraid of doing something. Now they kept Andre Kuzmenko last year. So how's that going to inform their decision on a player riding percentages this year, whether they're going to be more calculated perhaps. And what if, you know, Brock finishes with 45 goals and is looking at an eight or $9 million contract, then is that a guy they keep or do they feel like they, they can move him then? And if you go back to the previous regime, you would imagine they would be doing everything they can to keep them. This team, I think they would also very much consider, can we sell high on a guy to go and do the things we need to do to sustain this winning for another three to four years? You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.